So welcome to this Action RC podcast series reflecting on the history of 80s and 90s RC racing in Australia. Favourite races, tracks, cars, funny stories. We'll explore all of it. Uh, today, my guest, without question, one of the best known races in Australia over maybe the last 20 years or more. Fierce competitor in his own right. Father of two junior races, one of whom is rapidly marking himself out as one of the very best of his generation what we might call a technical powerhouse, deep respected knowledge and some impressive longevity as a competitive racer, product of the West now in Victoria. Great to have Ray Monday join me today. Ray, thank you so much for taking some time to have a chat. Hey, Scotty, thanks very much for uh, inviting me on. And uh, well, what an intro. I, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit speechless of that. I'm, I'm following um, Lou Solar the other day, so it's a bit of a tough act to follow, but i uh, appreciate you putting the time into this series and giving us, uh, I guess, everybody an opportunity to understand what it was like and, you know, share some of these stories of our awesome Australian RC history. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? I, 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 um, I do miss a little bit doing commentary. So, I, you know, I always had to get that a final introduction in. So that's, uh, you know, it's the best <laughs> I can do at the moment. Um, so, mate, give me a little bit of the backstory of, you know, you and RC racing. How did you get involved? Where did, where did it kick off for you? Was it a, you know, to me, a hot shot or a frog or, a, you know, something like that back in the day. Where did it start for you? Yeah, well, yeah, look, I was from Perth, um, from a motorsport family. My, my father was heavily involved in not so much the competition side, but the, the, the technical side. So he was oh, okay. uh, he spent a lot of time in the 70s uh, with my uncle working on race cars. And then uh, he was the chief scrutineer for Barbagallo for many years. Okay, so um, circuit so racing was his kind of thing? Mainly circuit racing. He also yeah. did a fair bit at Claremont Speedway on sprint cars. So, okay. um, you know, many weekends when I was younger, we'd be down at the track. My uncle, two of my uncles <laughs> raced speedway cars. So kind of, you know, from that, that kind of background, but we didn't have the cash to go um, full-size racing. Yeah. Um, and when, oh, I guess I was about 10 or 12, one of my uncles had a, yeah, the Tamir Wild Willie. The, the, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had one of those, and every now and then I got to have a have a drive, and I loved it. And uh, I went to a, a newsstand one day and saw like RC Car Action and uh, RC Car for Dirt and Track, the Australian one. I can't yeah. remember which one I got first, but uh, <laughs> after reading those mags, I was just hooked and just hounded my parents for ages to get a car. And uh, eventually, I got a Tamir Astute. Um, my okay. dad, yeah, he was like, "Look, Tamir is the you know, super quality brand." Yeah. Um, we didn't really know much about the racing. We just it was a it was a it was a uh, two wheel drive racing to me a yeah. buggy so yeah. that was nineteen ninety so I was about thirteen okay. I guess um, yeah. and um, actually started by building a track in the backyard okay. and doing that for a few months and every afternoon I get out there and charge up yeah. the the old resistance lead charger and my twelve hundred yeah. amp hour batteries and every afternoon be out there doing cutting laps and then uh, yeah a few months later we we went to a track and. Um, it was the last kind of the Christmas wind-up of 1990 at a club called Kareen, uh, which yep. I don't think exists anymore as a club. Was Kareen, um, was it a grass track back in, back in those days? Uh, originally, it was a grass track. Yeah. Um, but when we started there, it was already a dirt track. Okay. And it was, um, yeah, it was kind of a nice dirt track in, 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 a, in a park. And, yep. um, yeah, friendly people. And, and yeah, uh, we, we went to a couple of the different clubs. There were, there were three or four clubs in Perth at the time, but that was the one that we kind of felt had the, yeah. the best family and, and, yeah. and casual atmosphere. 
and oh yeah, that's, that's where it all started. So yeah, yeah, started off the Tamira Stute as a five forty, um, and then uh, over the next, I raced that for a season in in West Australian interclub season uh, series and yeah, yeah. club days at Corrine, and progressively modified the heck out of it. Like um, you know, again, like my, my old man was a was a really skilled fabricator, and you know, we yeah. had um, we ended up kind of budget racing but I, I managed to scrounge a set of long stroke lozy shocks from somewhere so i made up a shock <laughs> tower and had these big long shocks on the front and turned it into a saddle pack chassis because i saw reese Bertel's rc10 he'd gone saddle packs <laughs> in his car so we made this these modifications to it and uh, uh, by the end it was a reasonably competitive car i, I made a uh, a final at the, the at the state titles in wa and yeah i don't recall if i ever won anything with that car but i I could podium it but at it the right. clubs, but yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's this so there's this theme then, isn't there, about racing in that time where this kind of hand crafting, you know, improving the car, trying to, you know, I mean, every car had its flaws, and we were all trying to kind of work our way around those flaws, I guess. And that, you know, yeah. that was your experience with the astute take take a mid range kind of a buggy and figure out how to make it race worthy. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was all. Um, yeah, I mean, it was so green. Everybody, you didn't really know what was going on. No. Um, it, it was, you know, you, it was was luck as much as skill to get anywhere. And yeah. but, you know, um, actually, one of the cool things of, of that car was, um, again, very different to now. I don't know if you remember uh, the Xenon speed controls that you could make yourself. No. So, wow. No, uh, so the, okay, so because the car came with a mechanical speed control as they did back then. Yeah. Um, yeah, that burnt out pretty quick, but proper electronic speed controls were really expensive at the time yeah. and um, advertised in dirt and track was a, I think it was an Australian made thing. It was a, um, like a PCB, a, a printed circuit board that you, it came as a circuit board with all the electronics individually yeah. and you actually soldered together your own speed wow. control. So um, that was kind of my, in my memory, I put that together myself. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that, my dad might have helped me with the, might have been the, the a most little bit soldering of or something. But yeah. Yeah. So even the speed control was, was actually handmade. And, yeah, we got to build it ourselves and see yeah. how the circuitry worked and all that. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it, was, it was, you had to, every time you went to a track, everyone had their own, you know, everyone had their own little pit board that, or their pit box that they would make. And, yeah, um, yeah it, pretty much every car had a little bit of customization on it. And, yeah. And, yeah. Everyone was looking for that edge. And everyone was yeah. trying to find something new and, yeah, some of the things when you look back, you just go, "Oh my god, that was there was no way that was." <laughs> but it was all kind of the uh, the fun and the innocence of it. Yeah. yeah. So we we probably started a little bit earlier than you, but had a had a Tamiya hotshot, and I recall us fabricating a fiberglass chassis for that Tamiya hotshot, and the only fiberglass material we could find had the kind of circuit board material on the back of it. So we first oh, had yeah. to kind of you know, remove all that kind of gold plating uh, to get it back to just be plain fiberglass and then design this thing, cut it all up and bolt it all together. And it still was a hot shot in the end. It was really no better, yeah. but it was good fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. good, good part of the game. Yeah, um, oh, look, I, I mean, that's one thing I really remember was, you know, I, I was, I, was um, I wanted to be an engineer, so I was doing technical drawing and I had a little draft board yeah. and I sketched all these things up and, you know, we cut them out. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. So that, that kind of attraction to that engineering you know, which is now your profession, um, you know, for those who don't know you, you work in kind of vehicle engineering, but that's been there right from, you know, you were a pretty young bloke at that stage. Um, did RC feed that or did it 
kind of grow out of you know what you're doing with RC cars, or was it a bit of both? Uh, I always wanted to get into that. Like I, um, I only ever wanted to do anything with cars. I only ever wanted yeah, okay. to talk about cars when I was a kid. To that, yeah, it used to frustrate my primary school teachers. No, <laughs> so I wanted to talk about. Um, so yeah, I always wanted to be something with cars, and yeah, my original goal, I wanted to be a Formula One driver. Of get course. Into Formula One. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the dollars is obviously an issue. Um, look, I, I think it, it really, know, it started off, I mean, I've, I've always wanted, I love the, the full-size racing, but then RC was just the way that you could get into it and do it yeah. and and be part of it. And, you know, you, 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 you can make it yourself, you can build it yourself, you can go to the track and run it yourself. You don't need a team of 30 people behind you to do it. Yeah, um, yeah so it just... It, I don't know, it's kind of become an, yeah. an obsession about it, of, of course, but yeah. it's it's in the end, actually, I think it's probably helped my career more than the other way around. Okay. Um, those, the things that we learn with RC, um, anyone that's spoken about this knows I'm pretty passionate about this kind of subject, but um, RC is is much more than racing model cars. Um, yeah. It's, you know, because it's competition, you push yourself. Yes. Um, it's not sheep stations, so, yeah, you've got to keep it all in check. Um, but it's it's a mental game. It's a uh, science game. Yeah. It's a uh, it, it, you know, you've got a time management. All these things that you need to do to make sure that your car is on the track and you've got the best out of your equipment and the best out of yourself at that moment in time. Yeah. That's actually what it's about. And yeah. you can learn so much from RC. Uh, uh, not not you know, notwithstanding all the um, the social side that you learn as well. You know, yeah. Traveling around, meeting yeah. new people. So. Yeah, that, that, that's what kind of got me, got us into it, and then um, yeah, yeah never really stopped. Uh, just yeah, <laughs> I, I still love it. I, mean, I still, I still um, would love to just get out the track and drive every day. Yeah, yeah. So, so to, let's go back to you know back to that your teenage years. You're in WA. Uh, you talked about mm-hmm. Kareen. What you know? What else was going along going on over there in the West? I, I do recall, you know, that grass track racing was a bit of a thing in WA. That you know, perhaps it wasn't in other in other states. Was that still the case at that point, or am I thinking of an earlier time? Well, in, in Nitro, I believe it still was. Oh, okay. So I think they had that, and there yeah. was a little bit earlier. Um, yeah, the club that I raced at, Kareen, they were a grass track. Yeah, but then okay. I, I actually only ever did one event on grass, and that was at a uh, like a, a, a state fair kind of thing yeah, that they, yeah, they yeah. demo race. Yeah, yeah. So no, no competitive racing on grass, but yeah. there were a few big clubs. There was the the, the Bayswater Club or uh, West Coast, which is still around. Mm-hmm. Um, that was always a very kind of professional and very serious club. Mm. Um, there was the Rockingham Club, which is a bit further south of Perth, that was uh, that had a really cool track. Um, so they were the three clubs that yeah. were running. And, and it was kind of interesting back then is club days were a bit shorter. They were only, I remember Kareen used to run in an afternoon. Rockingham started at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I can't remember with Bayswater, but Rockingham and Kareen are like an hour's drive apart from each other. And um, we used to go club club race at Rockingham in the morning, pack the stuff in the car, and then move move out to to Corina in the afternoon. And yeah, you could, you could fit two club days yeah, in a day. Yeah. Yeah. And you had, yeah. I mean, there were some pretty quick guys emerging out of the WA scene around that time. With it, Gavin Reynolds won. He picked up the nationals in '92, didn't he? Was he won over Correct. there in yeah. Perth? And yet Chris Bosich kind of emerged around that time. Um, yeah. You know, so it was a pretty competitive sort of a scene that you found yourself jumping into. Locally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started in in stock, and and uh, so I mentioned I, I did a year in with the mm. astute in stock, and then I did 
two years, uh, two extra years in stock with a with, uh, when I went to Schumacher. But yeah, Gav Reynolds um, was he was the guy to beat. I mean, he yeah. was, uh, and I learned a lot from him. He was a really nice guy. Um, yeah, he was also he was a really technical kind of mechanic, mechanically minded guy. Um, so yeah, he was very influential. Yeah, Chris was was also there, and, and Chris pushed really hard. And mm. um, it took a few years. I remember I was kind of in that time where uh, Gavin was winning everything, and mm. but you could see Chris was putting a lot, a lot of effort in. Yeah. And then uh, eventually, around '93, was able to, to take a few big events off off Gav. Yeah. Um, Nathan Hodder was very quick. He was. Uh, Aurelio Tacconi was very fast. Um, did, yeah, he had, a, and, did he win a nationals in stock, Aurelio, or finished higher? Uh, at, at the 92 Nats in Perth, he, he finished second in stock. Yeah, okay. um, yeah Gav, Gav Reynolds won full modern yes. and then almost won it again the following year. Yeah, second, wasn't he? Little yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we had those kind of really, yeah, yeah, there were two or three very, very quick guys yeah. there that we could, could uh, anyone that was racing there, that's who you wanted to be. Yeah. yeah. Your own uh, experience of, you know, racing national, did you run in that 92 nationals that was on? Uh, over there in Perth? Yeah, yeah. So actually just before that, about, a, I think it was a month or so before. Um, yeah, this was, I guess, a little bit of a different time. That was the the, um, the recession had been through there. And yes. unfortunately, my, my father's uh, job, you know, he'd lost his job and we didn't have a lot of cash at the time. And um, I didn't realise at the time, but he sold a bunch of his old workshop equipment to buy me a, a, a Shoemaker Cougar about a month before the Nats. So that was that was kind of a big upgrade to have a a, yeah, yeah. a pro level race buggy, yeah. And that um, I managed to qualify seventh or eighth, I think. I made the A in two yeah, okay. stock with that. Yeah. So that was my first Nats, um, and uh, yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. You know, that was it was the first Nats that had been in WA. Um, yeah, it was. We had the the, the big guns coming over. There was yeah. Birdles, there were Pro, there were Chard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, who else was there? Yeah, Campbell was there, wasn't he? Oh yeah, sorry, Darren Campbell, yeah, of course. Davey Crow. Uh, yeah. Yep. And so, you know, we, the, pretty much most of the big guns came over mm. for that one. Mm. Um, yeah, and there were the guys that we you, know, you only read about them in magazines, Campbell and Charlie. Yeah. yeah, we had Craig Mazik and um, uh, Chris Marshall and Brendan Coleman over there in stock. I remember those yeah. guys. So there was the the performance hobby supplies team and the Bertles and the, yeah. all and Darren and all the all the kind of you know very very seriously yeah. opposing camps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that and was, that track that was, was a, as a track as a race track. That ninety two nationals track was certainly for East Coasters was quite unique. That very sort of soft loamy surface that really wore away over the mm. course of the event and um, you know must have been really interesting for you as a young bloke to watch people kind of coming to grips with difficult conditions like that and figuring out how to make the cars work and uh, yeah look uh, yeah it was and, and, and for those that might not know just recently i've actually got i uploaded this video i've yeah. still still got the video my, my father and my uncle used to take a lot of video recordings of our races and i've actually got every single race from quali every qualifier every final from that whole event on, on vhs so i uploaded it recently and been watching it I can't describe how rough that track was. Yeah, it's um, extraordinary conditions. It, yeah, it's to this day, it's the only track, and I, it is on one of the qualifying videos. 
It's the only track I've ever been to where racing had to be halted because the track wore down below the loop and a car got tangled in the loop. In the transponder um, loop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, those <laughs> were the days. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, so, yeah, that was a really, really rough track. And um, if you have a look at the, the video, like they actually swept it and rolled it overnight. And by the second race, it was just broken up and, yeah. and destroyed again because it was it was a very sandy track. You know, there's, yeah. there's a reason they call it the West Aussies the sandbreakers because yeah. there's a lot of sand there. And yeah, back then, that wasn't, you didn't make tracks out of clay or whatever. You made them out of what was there. Was that? Was, yeah. Yeah. So it was a very, very rough and sandy track. Um, my standout memory from that race was Dave Crow in Tool Drive. Um, he just got the Losey JRX Pro SE. I believe it was Hydro Drive that they had on it there. And he TQ'd by 10 seconds. Um, from memory, he won every single qualifier yeah. and he won every single final. Um, just dominated. And the car, it was... It was the only car that didn't look like it was driving on the surface of the moon. Everything else did. You know, yeah. your car would literally do it, do an, uh, an endo at the end of the straight if you hit the bumps wrong and you just go cartwheeling off the straight. Yeah. And his car just rode the bumps, yeah. was so fast, handled so well. And I remember thinking, wow, that was, that was kind of uh, a different league. I'd, yeah. I'd never seen anything like it. And, yeah. and for years, I've just watched that video over and over going, man, that's, that's how I want to drive. Like, that was awesome. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, I mean, that car too was, you know, and you, you spent some time with Schumacher and, you know, we chased hard after the Losi over that era and the RC10, you know, probably a bit like the Schumacher was, was a little bit harder going in really rough conditions. Uh, mm. you know, so that the track probably came to them. The setup was obviously brilliant. That's probably Dave Crow at the height of his abilities, you know, that kind of around that time. Um, yeah, yeah it was together. really impressive to watch. Yeah, yeah I'd encourage anyone listening <clears throat> jump on the YouTube channel and have a watch of it because it's yeah. um it's it's still impressive to this day. I think that if he put that car down with that level of driving skill now, he'd still be competitive. It was yeah. very impressive. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's move on from there. When when did you when did you first kind of in a sense you know escape from the west or travel over east for a race meeting? What's you know what are the what are the memories that you have of traveling away from home to race? Uh, you know, in that era, in those few years after that? Yeah, sure. Um, well, as you know, it was pretty expensive to travel back then. Um, it was. And so, yeah, it wasn't wasn't something we did very often. Um, no. My dad and I did drive to the East Coast a few times during the, the Nullarbor trip, but yeah. my first interstate trip was actually my first time on a plane was for the 95 Nats in Jimboomba. Okay. okay. Uh, I, I travelled there with Chris Bosich, and I'd been racing mod, so I switched to mod in 94, and I managed to win. Uh, I was still I was racing for Shoemaker. They had the Cougar 2000 and the Cat 2000. Yeah. Um, I managed to win the WA titles at my first go into mod with the Cougar. So okay. I was kind of had a bit of confidence going into that event. And I thought, oh yeah, and it was only a few months later. We'll, we're over in in Queensland for the Nats. Yeah, but... yeah. So can, before we go there, before we go to Jim Boomba, let me just ask you, uh, uh, in uh, I guess a philosophy question. You you ran stock for if I'm doing the maths right, sort of maybe three years, um, you know, a year with the Institute, a couple of years with the Shoemaker. Yep. What's your, what's your kind of feel about, you know, if you want to be a competitive modified driver, how long should you spend in stock and, you know, or should you just get on with it and get into modified, you know, and, and learn there? Uh, I've often wondered about, you know, those who spend years and years perfecting the craft in stock versus yep. those who just move to mod early and kind of learn there and, you know, come to grips with what is a, a very different experience. 
Yeah, uh, my opinion is um, go to mod straight away. Yeah. If you actually want to go fast in mod, yeah. go to mod straight away. Yeah. Um, and and but uh, I guess to explain that, yeah. um, if you the young kids that want to go fast, you know, we we'll get to. I'm sure we'll talk about our juniors and that yeah, kind of will. stuff. But yeah, yeah, the um, the I hear a lot of people say that stock's too fast for juniors. Absolute rubbish. Yeah. Um, the juniors have got reactions that that uh, are able to cope with it, and and the only thing that holds kids back is the parents and and, yeah. and what you the limits you put on them as a parent. But if you start racing when you're in your forties, mods are going to be really hard. It's a um, difficult. Yeah. Yeah, and and so I think that you know stock is a it's a much more accessible entry point. Yeah. Um, and if you want to have fun, like I don't I don't subscribe that you have to get out of stock. If no. you want, if you just want to, if you enjoy the speed of stock. Yeah. And you enjoy the fun of the stock class and the people that you're racing yeah. against, and stay there forever. Absolutely. But if you actually want to be, if you want to go to the top level in mod, um, yeah, I would be moving to mod as soon as possible because yeah. the driving technique that you need in mod is uh, is different, and you don't want to teach yourself bad habits. Yeah, yeah, and that's probably no less true now as it as it was in in you know in those days as you made that move yourself. Um, yeah, ninety four. Yeah. I, I think the only difference that's happened now is that it used to be really expensive to go fast. Yeah. Um, now it's not. You know, you can. It, it, in fact, it's probably more expensive to go slow in in uh, in the spec class because the equipment is far more critical. Whereas yeah. back then, it as as you probably remember, mm. to to actually go fast in mod, you needed the best of the best batteries. Yes. You needed to keep replacing your brushes in your motors. You needed to have a massive range of motors. It was it wasn't something you could just step into. Whereas now, I oh yeah, drop a seven five in your two wheel drive. I'll give you a speed control yeah. setting. You can dial down a bit, bang, you're ready to go. Two or three batteries, um, and you're done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's that's something that is uh, has changed a lot is the yeah. accessibility of speed. Yeah. 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 So how was that? How was that transition to mod? We will come back to Jim Boomer in a minute, but I'm but I mm. kind of skipped over that. You know that move into mod. You said that you managed to win that. <coughs> I think it was ninety four WA titles. Yeah, Cougar Two Thousand, of course, yeah. the greatest race car ever built. Ah, uh, sorry, not the yeah. one. <laughs> so, how was that move for you? And you know, you're fronting up, and you know, against guys like Bozic then, and um, you know, who you've been watching. Uh, oh, it was 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 really good. I, I really, um, you know, those guys were always supportive, and yeah. it was a pretty small scene, so we knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, it was probably the the year that I moved to mod was just as Gab Reynolds was stepping back. Um, yeah. you know, he he uh, he had a kid, um, and he he his professional career was taking a different road so yeah. he didn't keep racing that much after that there but um yeah, yeah uh he he and um mate gav still told me right at the very start i remember his first words of advice is never pull full throttle till your steering's in the straight line and um okay, I went, okay Gav's told me that i never will and, um, <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah we, our tracks in wa were really sandy they were generally very slippery so i learned a lot about throttle control and i had to learn very quickly and yeah, I think it's fair to say my first season in mod, I was either first or I was last. Um, I I either had a really really good event or I just bombed out hard. And yeah. um, I think that that learning of how to be consistently fast is is still the hardest thing for anybody to be able to get to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we I did that, and yeah, that that race, the '94 WA titles, yeah, had the Cougar 2000. Um, that was still, yeah. I mean, I'm an associate of driver now, but I think of all the cars. Over the time that I've raced, that was probably the most innovative, mm. and 
um, especially when they came out, if you remember, with the um, the SACS, the active yes. caster front suspension, yeah. that transformed that car. And that, that car, for me, fit me like a glove. It just yeah. did everything that I wanted it to do. No one else could drive it. Anyone else yeah. that tried to drive my car, I just, how do you drive this? Yeah. But for me, it just worked. And it, yeah. and I went through a period of a few months where um, it was it was an untouchable two-wheel drive mm-hmm. car. So, um, but, yeah, and I, was, I had a Shoemaker Boss Cat, which wasn't the latest gen. I then got the, the Cat 2000, which was, was, was a big step up. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah then... The, that car came out at the end of 93, didn't it? After, just after the Worlds. They raced it at the Worlds in England. Correct. Yeah. We, we built a Cat 2000 out of a... Here's a good story for you. We were sent a garbage bag full of parts and no instruction <laughs> manual, and we built yeah. the first Cat 2000 uh, in a site shed at the New South Wales titles at St. Ives on the side of the race track. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, all right, here's an, we had an exploded diagram. That's it. You know, go yeah, you yeah. Know, build this build this new car and figure out how to make it work. Uh, it was quite, yeah. but great car in the end uh, as it developed. Oh, Sorry, look, yeah. that, that was awesome. Yeah, they, they, they were an awesome machine. And then, uh, but I think that was, that was, there were, there were, the Schumacher in that, in those times was extremely innovative. Mm. Um, but as you probably remember, the, the amount of new stuff that came out all the time was actually, I think they, they released too many things too fast. So my Cougar 2000 by the end of the 94 season, just unbelievable car. I was so happy with it. Then they came out with the Cougar 2095. And that was maybe a month before we went to Jim Boomba. Yeah. Um, so I built up this new car and it wasn't quite as comfortable. And then about two days before we went there, I got a chassis in the mail. I knew nothing about it, just this chassis appeared in the mail. Yeah. I was I was a factory support, uh, supported driver at the time, which I, th- I think you were as well. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, things would just appear, nothing. So I put this new chassis on. So I turn up at the event. Um, the lay-down shocks had also just been sent for the Cat 2000. Yeah. So you, you turn up at an event. I go over to, to Queensland, my first time on a plane, first time travelling away for racing, first time actually racing without my dad as well. Yeah, um, okay. all new parts, all these new things, and yeah, I, I just sucked at that event. Um, it was a <laughs> it was a really really big learning curve. Um, yeah. The track was very flowing; it was very smooth. Yeah. Um, it it didn't break up, and because it, it rained so much during that event, it, the yeah. track actually became very hard packed and kind yeah. of grooved for the day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just. I, I remember in tool drive, I set the single fastest lap time of the event and I qualified 14th, I think. Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, just, uh, and I look back, well, I found that video recently as well. And, and you, know, you can, you can see just, just pushing way too hard, yeah. trying to drive too hard because the, the WA tracks tended to be yeah, smaller and slipperier and you had to yeah. kind of, chuck, well, you could chuck the car around. Yeah. That was my first time driving on a proper flowing track that had, yeah curves you could ride it had yeah. you know lines that you had to really piece and flow together yeah. it was that awesome um kick over the tree the second yes. last corner where yeah. yeah you know just it was it was a real elevation and, and line yeah. and, and flowing track yeah i think yeah, there are, and, for me as i look back on that track there are a couple of defining parts of it one was that that lump past the tree and the other was you know through turn one um down off the front straight through turn one that kind of a series almost of whoops that that developed over the course of the event and you know you had to be so on the line uh, as you came down that down that side Uh, it was you know really risky sort of a part of the track yeah and it it was a track that you you, i mean i learned a lot 
sometimes you have to suck a lot to learn a lot. But yeah, I learned a lot in that event yeah. um, by watching, you know, the, the, the guys, because that was the one that Gillard ended up um, winning both. He did. Um, uh, which was which was awesome. And But the racing was so close. Simon Camilleri, I remember him in four models without a this world. The, the battles that those two had was, was yeah. really impressive. And uh, I know that was the one that Darren Perry, he, he won't want to hear about it, but yeah, no, that was... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to remind him as often as possible. The, yeah, yeah, he lost that one on the last straight. But um, yeah, watching those guys and their ability to just mm. flow through corners and keep your corner speed up. Mm. And I travelled with Boz and yeah, Boz did really well at that event. He was, I think, yeah. third or fourth or something. And yeah, he, he had that really nice flying style as well. Yeah. And, and um, all weekend he was telling me, Ray, you know, um, you, you're pushing too hard, man. You just got to back it off and flow the car. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, no, I'm all good. I know what's going on. I can drift the car. I've, I've, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, uh, young, young kid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I used to I used to just try and rally, rally the car around everywhere, massive slides, and it just didn't work on that. And that's where I kind of learned. Yeah, I'll have to change my style a bit. Yeah, so uh, I made the I made the A final in truck. I had a borrowed Storm two thousand, so yeah. that was that was my first mod A main. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, mate, I was in the B in both two and four wheel mod, um, and just didn't. Yeah, I was underprepared. I, I had DNFs. So yeah, it was 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 a learning experience, but a bit yeah. tougher. Yeah. So you you really you know as as we might look back on it, you really came into your own then. Um, you know, over the next few years, that sort of. Uh, the next time the Nationals were in WA, uh, well, actually before that, you know, you finished well up in the field at, was it 96 in Canberra? Um, uh, yeah, the 97 that's in Canberra, 97, yeah. 97, sorry. Yeah. That's right, 96 was back indoors in Adelaide, wasn't it? Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think after, look, I mean, I was, you know, going through um, university at the time and, yeah, a yeah. few changes going on. Um, yeah, the, the 95 Nats kind of reset me a little bit and yeah. um, I was came under some support. So one of my first sponsors was a guy, um, Tim Vickridge um, from Hobbycraft in WA, yeah. um, who actually you know, was pretty instrumental in as a mentor for a lot of us young guys at WA at the time. Um, and yeah, my dad and I, yeah, we, we were running the Shoemakers, but, but Tim was helping us with some of the motors and batteries and things. Um, and actually, Tim, Tim, I met my wife. She knew Tim through a mutual acquaintance. So, you know, it ended up uh, pretty significant kind of, Okay. Person's known my wife. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was running running for, for, for Tim and then yeah, Greg Collings from Performance Hobby Suppliers gave me some support with motors and batteries. And um, 95 was kind of a bit of a development year. I think that was the yeah. year where I was, had to re reconstruct my driving and learn a lot more. And yeah, again, that was when uh, Chris Bozich was the 95 WA titles. He won all three classes and he, yeah. you know, towered us pretty well there. Yeah, yeah. 96, I went to the start of the year. I remember I was starting third year uni and I kind of had a bit of a uh, epiphany in life to, you know, to sort my stuff out and, and try and be a bit more methodical about how I did things. And, um, yeah, I, I worked really hard on my driving and my setup. And, and I had a uh, uh, one of my best friends from, from racing and, and, you know, when I look back at, at the time, really instrumental. For me personally, a guy called Luke Chivers. Yeah. Um, I don't remember Luke. So oh, Luke was a Luke. was a very, yeah yeah, yeah L C. He was a real character. Yeah. Um, he he had a um, uh, a uh, a small hobby. It's like a side hobby business um, yeah. competition. I think it was. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he 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 and I worked together real well. And yeah, he really helped me get on top of my motors and batteries and get get proper power out of my cars. 
Um, we used to go to the track every weekend. You know, it'd be it'd be a routine. Thursday night, I'd go around his house and we'd rebuild cars. Friday, Saturday night, we'd go out night clubbing. Sunday, we'd go racing together all day. It was, <laughs> yeah, we we, <laughs> yeah. And um, if we travelled away, we were always staying together, driving together, and and yeah, he really helped me out. And 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 so that '96 season was when. Um, I think I started to become consistent and fast through through having that kind of team support around. Um, and 96 WA titles, um, Trent McClure came over. So he was the factory uh, associated driver at the time. And especially in field drive, like ballistically yeah, fast. He was super fast, yeah. Yeah, so um, that, was, that was kind of, wow, you know, I've got this guy coming over here. And then uh, I had, um, yeah, I managed to, TQ four mod at that event by I think eight seconds and two wheel drive by five seconds. And um, that was the first time where I actually felt like I was had had taken my driving up to that level there. Yeah. Obviously I had a you know massive home track advantage and oh, yeah, Trent was he yeah. he got quicker and quicker through the event. But um yeah. uh you know I still managed to take out those there. And it was a couple of months later we went to the ACT nationals in uh, it was at Canberra early yeah, 97. Early 97, yep. <clears throat> yeah, and I was actually, so for a few months, I, I was living in Melbourne. I did my work experience for GM Holden, and I was actually, so I was, I was in Melbourne at the time, and um, I competed in a few of the uh, Orca Vic rounds against Lou Soler and uh, Matt Griffin and a few of those guys, and um, drove up to Canberra, and yeah, that was that was a, probably a little bit of a track that suited me because it was also a very rough, sandy track. Um, hmm. Somewhere there are some videos of that event. I'm trying to dig them. But um, you were at that event, weren't you, Scott? I don't want to talk about that event from a personal no. point of view. Let's just, let's just park that one, mate. Yeah. <laughs> so you remember, it, that was an extremely rough track. It was very rough, um, yeah. Yeah, it just the whole track was, was basically a wave. And, um, yeah, full drive I managed. That was when Craig Mazik was you know, the guy to beat with everything. Yeah. And in full drive... Um, from memory, I, I, I missed TQ by half a second from him. And then in the first final, we had probably the most, one of the most epic A finals I've ever had. Um, there was no position changes, but we were on the roughest of rough tracks. Yeah. And I think the biggest gap between us was about 0.8 of a second through the whole race. Um, he managed to, he managed to take, take the win, but yeah, um, yeah that, that was, that was just one oh, of those races. Yeah. Yeah. Now I ended up, I won one of the finals and, you know, uh, got second in full drive, two drive um, from memory B final. I think that was in rocket round days and was, I, I that was, last round of yeah. qualifying. It upset yeah, a lot I, of the established positions, didn't it? From memory, there was like a little bit of rain or something just before it, and um, the, the tracks, yeah, pretty much. I think I was sixth going into the last round. I ended up sixteenth because I had a, a yeah. bad round. Um, yeah. The, that that's what I remember from that there. And yeah, back then, funnily enough, I, I was always quick in four wheel, but I could never get it together in tool drive. Um, it took me a long time to be competitive in the tool drive scene, but uh, at, at a national level, but full drive running the, the shoemaker, I, I, yeah, that that car clicked with my style and yeah. and um, yeah. So that that was that was a really good year. That that was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Just want to just pick up something that you mentioned there on the way through. You were talking about Tim Tim Vicarage, wasn't it? Um, mm. And I think you you used the phrase that he was kind of like a mentor to you. Um, yeah. So I'm interested in that that notion. You know, if we can again, you know, just detour from the history part for a moment to to think about 
the kind of value of a racing mentor, you know, and, and, and so in turn, I guess, as you know, those of us who are more experienced, you know, what yeah. is it that we can contribute to, you know, the others who are, you know, learning to race around us? Um, you know, that, do you have any kind of sense of the value of that mentoring relationship? Uh, Look, I think there's plenty of um, uh, literature out there, especially for young males, that they need to have older male mentors. Hmm. Um, I think RC, as, as with a lot of kind of hobbies and sports, is something that can keep um, yeah, young males especially, and, and not that I mean, there's some great female races, but I think especially yeah. young males, they, they can go off the rails very quickly if they're not careful. Um, yeah, having, having, you know, being at the track, having older males around, people that can mentor you is, is, yeah. is really important part of what our hobby offers. And yeah, for me, Tim was one of them. Yeah, he was, um, uh, yeah, he was, he was a real character. He, he ran the hobby shop. He supported a lot of us. He kind of, yeah, he had his team hobby craft and there was a whole bunch of us. There was, there was Luke, Aurelio, Anthony Hall, obviously mm. Gavin Reynolds was the, the kind of main driver. Yeah. Um, uh, Chris Behrens, I'm trying to think, there was seven or eight guys. Yeah. Um, you know, when we travel, we'd, we'd pit together and it was, it, it kind of gave that, 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 yeah. um, that team mentality. Hmm. So yeah, he was, yeah, he was one of the guys that mentored. Um, I mean, Luke was, Luke Chivers was only a, a couple of years older than me, but, but he, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, he was a really good mentor for me in, in a lot of aspects. Um, yeah. And yeah, Oz was also, uh, yeah, he, he taught me a lot about the preparation and the racing side. Um, and uh, yes, I, I think now that that's kind of definitely what I feel now is is um, if I knew what I knew now, but I had my skills that I had then. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, for the reflexes of an eighteen-year-old. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so that that's part of why you know digressing to, to more modern times now, I've, yeah. I've taken a very proactive kind of approach to sharing knowledge and and yeah. helping the young guys and helping people around because yeah. Um, in the end, we we want to see more Australians doing well at the world level. We want to see you know um, great young men and women coming out of this hobby. We want to see these things that that you know you, know, you and I know the hobby. We're not going to make millions of dollars out of it, but no. the, 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 what we learn from it is priceless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. So I think well, where did we get up to? Ninety seven, uh, ninety eight nationals are back in Perth. Um, yes, second time the nationals were held over there. Uh, mm -hmm. You must have gone to that event, you know, on the back of on the back of '97. You must have gone into that '98 event thinking, you know, this is a, you know, I'm I'm not going here to make up the numbers. Uh, I'm going into this to give it a red hot crack. Yeah, I, I think so. It's um, it was a little bit of a tough time. I just finished, so I graduated from my university studies yeah. in engineering in '97, um, and I, I was very fortunate. I got a job at that same time with a company called Kinetic Suspension. It was a R&D company mm. um, focused on suspension technology. You know, dream job, just yeah. unbelievable. Unfortunately, it was in Margaret River, which is about three and a half hours south of Perth. So for the four months leading up to that nationals, um, suddenly I wasn't living 20 minutes away. I was living yeah. four hours away. Um, you know, I, I, I was at the start of my career. I was, you know, you know, wanted to make a big impression and, you know, you know working hard on that. So, um, probably in hindsight that did have a bit of an, an impact, but, yeah. um, yeah, you know, we, yeah, was working really hard towards it. Um, and I was, yeah, obviously hoping to have a, a good result there. Um, but I think in the end, um, you know, we, we had the. So again, getting back to the customization, yeah, we had the Shoemaker Fireblade at the time, yeah. and I didn't gel with that car 
at all. Yeah. Um, it had the motor hung way out the back. It had all these, the, 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 yeah, it, it was a very, very difficult car to drive. And about a month before the event, I was like, man, I'm really struggling. I don't know what to do here. And so it, this car just feels like there's nowhere near enough weight on the front. So that was kind of, again, you know, customizing. I ended up um, lifting the servo and the servo was, the batteries I shoved under the servo. So wow. I moved the batteries two full cells forward from where they wow. normally sit. And yeah, the servo literally sat above the, the front cell. And instantly that car was transformed. Um, okay. It had corner speed, I could drive it. Um, and I thought to myself, oh, well, maybe I'm actually gonna have yeah. some yeah. some uh, chance in a two-wheel drive here. Um, and uh, the cat I was kind of comfortable with and I built myself up a new cat for that event and that was mistake number one. So I put the car down, practice and I'm like, oh, this car doesn't feel anything like my two-year-old, you know, yeah. out. <laughs> my mule. Old yeah. And um, so there's, there's a few life lessons that you continue to learn is yeah, never, never put a brand new car down at a big event that, that yeah. just bite you. Yeah. And um, until the last qualifier of, so these are the days where full drive was the first, um, the first day. Yeah. yeah. Darren Campbell was there and that was when he was, yeah. I mean, Darren's always been competitive, but he was super competitive at that yeah. time. Yeah. Um, we had Trent McClure, um, Ari Barkler had moved to modern year or so yeah. before and he was, yeah. Very fast full drive. We had all these guys um, into the final round of qualifying. I was sitting somewhere in the middle of the B. Um, I just couldn't get my stuff together. And in the end, I went, man, there's something. I went to my old cat that was sitting in the box. I pulled all four shocks off that cat and put them on my new car. And suddenly the car was drivable again. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, back in the days, we probably weren't measuring shock lengths to the nearest millimeter and all no. those things that we no. know now. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I kind of, the rocket round worked in my favor there where I was able to put a, a last gas qualifier and I think I qualified second or third, I can't remember. Um, no, third. <clears throat> and yeah, so that, that event kind of, yeah, it was like, oh wow, man, I only just managed to scrape it in the A. And um, yeah, we, myself and Ari and Darren had some good battles. Darren, Darren won the, the full drive portion, um, yeah, well. But um, yeah, so I think I, I think, bit of inexperience you know not not enough um big races and I, I go back and watch the video and just lots of mistakes and i remember at the day i just didn't have back then i was fast but um not i didn't have that uh consistency and the mental side to be able to deal with that yeah. and uh yeah so yeah that one was kind of a bit of a bit of a, an awakening because I, I i thought i was going to be yeah a little bit more competitive there um Tool drive, I thought, oh, well, you know, we'll just see where that goes, whatever. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I think I qualified fifth or something in two wheel. Trent McClure, TQ, I think Darren was second. There was Chris Primer, yeah. uh, a few of those guys there. But then in the finals, everything gelled. The first final, I remember coming through. Oh, Simon Batizzi was there as well when he was, you know, he was one of the really quick guys. Lou was talking yeah. to him the other day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was, that was, this is kind of still a hard one to remember, uh, to, to recall, but, uh, uh, yeah, first A final, I managed to kind of get through some carnage and go from fifth to first and, and win that one by, by a fair way. And I thought, well, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, that was lucky, you know, I'll, I'll take that. And then in the second final, um, yeah, off the start, I ended up in a freight train. It was Darren in the lead and I was in second and Simon Badizi was in third. And for the first four minutes, it was the closest freight train race I've been in for a very long time. Um, I remember with about a minute to go, Simon had a little bobble and dropped a few seconds back. So it was down between Daz and I. And then 
I thought, geez, I'll, I'll just keep the pressure on here. And in the first corner of the last lap, Daz actually made a mistake and he, and he managed to, to, to just touch the curb in a sweeper and traction roll and just came back on his wheels, but I managed to get inside him. So in the last lap, I'm like, oh my God, you know, um, till we're off. Well, I think I kind of surprised myself. Like, geez, I didn't expect to be here. Um, all right, just, just got to hold it together for a lap. And then, yeah, but he, he landed back on his wheels and he tucked in straight behind me. So yeah, I had the pressure of Darren Campbell behind me, which is, which is uh, That's, uh, very intimidating. That yeah. is something to behold. That's right. Yeah, and um, yeah, with two corners to go, there was like a left-hand off-camber hairpin, and and uh, yeah, I, he got he got past me. Now, I think he and I remember it slightly differently, but um, yeah, it was still <laughs> it was yeah, it was a me, very tell me any two racers who have any kind of incident on a racetrack who remember <laughs> yeah. it the same. That's 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 yeah. not going to happen. No, but it was. I think it, it was it was uh, it was tough racing. I think. Yeah. We did have a little bit of contact, and but uh, you know, in the end, that's racing experience. I probably yeah. should have uh, defended my line better. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, that one's not on video, so he took that win. And then the third <laughs> final came down, and and again, somehow I'd ended up right behind the front. But then, actually, Chris Primer, I think it was in second, managed to tumble, and and I caught up with him, so I couldn't take it down to the third one. But um, yeah. yeah, pretty uh, yeah. yeah. I remember that one though. But coming so close to a nationals. Yeah. and not winning that yeah. that was really hard and yeah. that took me uh well it took me 10 years to win a nats after yeah that. And, um and even then i actually took a few years off but that that pain i think when i won the nats in 08 that's one of the first things i remembered was like oh man finally i've got that monkey off that would have been yeah. quite a sigh of relief i imagine uh, it, 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 it weighed it weighed on me very heavily actually it yeah. was um yeah, it was yeah. so disappointing. Put so much effort in and you come so close. And yeah, uh, yeah, because you just feel like you threw it away. It's, it's funny the way racing goes. I remember the same, the, the ACT Nats. If you told me in the morning I would have got second at Craig Mazik, would have been happy. But Absolutely. at the end of the day, you're like, oh man, second. And yeah. I kept getting second. I think I had six second places at the Nats before I won one. So yeah. kind of, um, yeah, that, that, yeah, that was kind of a bit of a story for a while. But yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's where also, now I'm very heavy on the mental side. My mental preparation and my mental techniques were just non-existent. I just yeah. went to the track and drove, you know, yeah. and I'd, I'd prepare the car and I'd do all that, but I didn't put any effort into the mental side. And that's that I think, um, you know, is, it's the difference between winning and losing is, is yeah. that. So whereabouts, and I guess we're getting, you know, we're getting more into the kind of modern times now and away from the historical aspect of the conversation, but somewhere along the lines there, you've obviously, you took some time off, you said, and you've, you know, moved then from, you know, you'd been with Shoemaker for quite a few years and, you know, and you return with Team Associated. What was that, what was that like to sort of, you know, shift camps, so to speak, and to learn a whole new, almost a design language or philosophy or approach to racing that the team associated with such history bring to their race cars? Yeah, well, just to give you a little bit of background how that happened. So, um, yeah, yeah, I was with Shoemaker for a very long time. Um, yeah, we, we loved the Shoemaker cars, you know, the, the innovation and the design of it. Um, I think after, so 90, 98 was Perth. So I almost won tool drive in 1998. Yeah. 1999, the Nationals were at Maitland. Yeah. In, and in Tool Drive, I finished halfway through the sea. Um, the, the Shoemaker Tool Drive was just one of those cars that was either fast or you were nowhere. Yeah. And I think that was a time that we'd, 
my dad and I drove from Perth to, to Maitland for that. And it was a very long drive home. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few of those as well, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If a 52 hour drive can't feel longer, yeah. you finish in a C final. Yeah. And that was kind of, that was about one of the last times I raced the Shuey tool drive. I, yeah. So yeah, I was working with Kinetic. I ended up, um, I spent a few months living in America for, for work and the Lozy triple X was released. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do something different. And, mm. uh, I bought a triple X and so I actually raced Lozy two-wheel drive for a few years, but I started okay. with the Shoemaker four-wheel drive. Yeah. Um, I raced in America. I was, I was living in Detroit for the better part of a year and I got to race. Um, this was kind of a really pivotal part was I got to race against guys like Adam Drake, Alan Horn, um, who are you know, still competitive guys in their own, yeah. in their own right. Um, in, in the Michigan series in the late nineties, that was massive. It was, I'm talking 350 people one day events. They yeah. were huge, Big. and they were. And suddenly you're on these. They were. They were still when America was running on loamy tracks in the Midwest, mm. but massive jumps and um, you know four minute racing. You actually got to do a warm up lap. Wow, this is well, what, what most people don't realize or remember or even know back in the nineties. Luxury, yeah. You didn't do warm up laps. You no. didn't even rev your motor. You, no. you you might have wiggled your steering just to make sure that your car was turned on. You yeah. did not want to use any power. Suddenly, four-minute racing and doing a warm-up race. What, yeah. what is this? Yeah. Um, so that that was kind of, yeah, the, the next part of racing there. Um, uh, and then I, I stayed on doing that in WA for a few years, but um, for various reasons, I didn't have the cash to be able to do the interstate travel. Mm. Um, and I decided that, you know what, I always wanted to go race full-size and do other things. So I went and did. I bought an RX-7 and did some autocrossing. Um, and worked out very quickly that I couldn't afford to do anything full size. Um, I then went and got a, uh, did some go-karting, which I really enjoyed. Um, I think because you could do it yourself and it's a little bit more like it's, it's the next step from RC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then when I was in Japan for work, my uh, mate and, a workmate and I were doing some karting over there and I had a massive crash with a, I had a, a brake disc fail and it was a proper thriller, uh, it was it was a Burrell chassis, Perilla one two five reed valve. It was a proper race car that I rented, mm-hmm. and the brake disc snapped at the end of the straight. And I went flying off in the barriers, and I, I busted three ribs. And God knows how I didn't kill myself. It was a, Ouch. it was a, pretty, yeah. And yeah. My, my my son had been born about a month before that, so suddenly I was in a situation of, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was injured. I couldn't get anything out. <laughs> yeah. So my wife said, you know what? It's uh, we just moved to Melbourne actually. Um, uh, yeah. When my son was born, so we we, we did the move there. She said, "No, it's time to. Yeah, that's not yeah. now's not the time to go karting. Why don't you go back and race RC cars?" Yeah. So I was living in Melbourne, and um, you know, I thought, "Well, who do I contact?" Um, Matty Griffin. Yeah, you know, he was a good friend that I'd, I'd met through through racing um, uh, when I was living in, in or when I was when I was racing in, in Victoria, and he was the associated guy. So that's yeah. he said, "Mate, get yourself a B6." I went yeah. to the local hobby shop um, in Werribee and bought a B6. Um, and and that I mean that's a bit different to now even then yeah. I didn't have any sponsorship from AE. Um, yeah. That was the same car that two years later I won the nationals with. I, I yeah. didn't, um, yeah, you didn't kind of buy new cars all the time, but yeah, yeah. Um, and so I had Matt to, to learn from. So I think and, you uh, might have just said yeah. the B six, but I think that's that's the RC ten B four, isn't it? In that time. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. B four. Two thousand and six. Yeah. B four. Yeah. 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 Had my numbers mixed up. Yeah. So I, yeah, joined that and. Man, it was a very different vehicle. Um, yeah. yeah, associated, uh, yeah, 
I'd spent so many years trying to beat those darn RC10s. And <laughs> you know, where they're working and doing all this stuff on our cars and pick with an RC10, I'm like, wow, the track's really changed. Maybe I'll, I don't know, <laughs> I might just brush my car off a different way or something. <laughs> they, you know, they, they never, they, they, the Associated's always seem to have cars that you just put down on the track hmm. and they just worked everywhere. And, um, yeah, so I kind of had to start learning that. And, yeah, Matt was really instrumental in what I'd call phase two of my career, which was, yeah, um, yeah took a few years off, got back to it in Victoria. Yeah. And, um, yeah, then, then being able to run, yeah, in WA, when I first started, we had Gav Reynolds and Bosich, but then those guys, Bos went and did a lot of nitro, yeah. um, on-road nitro, and didn't really do much off-road. And Gav didn't, didn't race. So for many years... I didn't really have a, a, a really tough level of competition there. Um, yeah. You know, lots of good friends there, but not. Yeah. I didn't yeah. have that national level competition. And then I'd come to the nationals once a year and you know spend yeah. the whole event trying to catch up. Yeah. Suddenly, being able to race against Matt Griffin once a month, hmm. and um, you know that that I think that was the bit that really changed me. And, and um, especially in tool drive, where he was a tool drive master yeah. of um, yeah. I know I actually worked out his style was completely different to anything that I'd been doing. And I, I just changed my style totally to suit the car. And yeah, the, the, since then I've been tool drive sort of became the class that I guess I was, I started to become better at. So, so there's two, there's two questions in there that I want to just, and I'm kind of looking at the time going, yeah, we could just keep talking for hours, but you know, people have probably already <laughs> turned off this podcast by now. Yeah. Um, for the two of you who've hung in there, well done. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's two, I guess two questions that come out of that for me. One is, um, you know, you, there's, there are a few people, you're one, um, someone like Andrew Gillett's probably another, you know, who have managed to eke out a very competitive front running kind of career in Australia over a, quite a long period of time. You know, so you, mm-hmm. you know, that first uh, nationals at Jimboomer in 1995, you know, you were on the podium at the nationals, what only in 2018 and not far off last year in 19. So, you know, you've been at the front of the sport in Australia over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I'm just interested in, you know, and maybe some of that stuff about the mental game, but what is it that's helped you to stay at the front at the sharp end, you know, over quite when the rest of us, you know, are long since either retired or gone back to spec racing or whatever we've done, but you know, you, you, you managed to find a way to stay, uh, sharp and focused and energized by it and competitive um, and that's that's probably not an easy thing uh, any thoughts around that yeah look i uh, i think part of it I, i've always been naturally a very competitive person hmm. so i've not seen age as being a barrier to that hmm. um i think also i just uh, i mean i still love it i i really love my racing i, I love what we get to do and i love the challenge but I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've tried to apply my, I guess, the engineering and the kind of scientific approach to things. Mm. And I do think yeah, that the, the mental side was probably the, I actually got into the mental side when I went karting because I'm like, right, I was, oh, what was I, 27, 28, yeah. I'm about to start something completely new, what do I have to do? Yeah. And what you'll find is that RC in general, all we care about is the cars. In any other form of motorsport, you care about your, your driving because you can't afford to do anything else. Um, yeah, we, it's very easy. If you want to change roll centers, oh yeah, a half a mil here, whatever. Mm. In a full-size race car, you want to change roll centers. It's probably going to cost you a few thousand bucks to have the car modified to be able to do it. You need a team of mechanics. It's not something you can do in five minutes. So yeah. m- m- karting is m- much more focused on driving. Yeah. And 
I got into the mental side through that there. And then when I came back to RC, I think that's actually the, yeah. that's probably the thing that helped me the most. Yeah. Um, because your brain is, uh, is capable of so much more than what we do. So um, probably the only thing I'm finding now, yeah, I'm 43 now, is my vision is definitely starting to become a, a <laughs> bit of a holder. <laughs> so, you know, this last six months is probably the first time really that I've said to myself, you know, I, I, I sat out last year's nationals after the world, so I didn't have a very enjoyable okay. world. Um, I sat out the Nats last year to focus more on Lachlan. Yep. Um, and I've enjoyed that kind of race engineering rather than being, yeah, I don't. I don't think I'm a pit dad. I'm a race engineer. Yeah. Um, nice. And That's, uh, it's on your business card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I think it's just partly you know just as long as you can keep your mind at it and keep fresh and keep enjoying it. Mm. I think once it gets to the point where you're not enjoying it, mm. you're not going to stay competitive. Mm. But if you can keep enjoying it and keep enjoying the challenge of finding out the next the next mm. um, thing that you need to work on, whether that's you know, I mean, we've had this amazing period in the last few years of going from rear motor to mid-motor, all these tyre developments, battery, motor. There's this, over the last 10 years, the, 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 the amount of development is awesome. Mm. And if you put your mind to it, it's, it you, know, you can kind of keep staying on top of, the, of yeah. what it is that you need to be competitive. Yeah. Yeah. The other question I wanted to just pick up out of that, that kind of transitional story, you know, and as I, as I think back over your time, um, you know, what I see is that, that long period with Shoemaker and then and an even longer period now with Associated. And that, that strikes me as a, um, you know, an exhibition of, in a sense, loyalty, them, those teams to you and you to them, you know, in, in, and there are others who um, explore and enjoy the hobby in different ways by racing lots of different cars. But, you know, you've, that sense of loyalty has been a bit of a hallmark of your career. Um, you know, mm -hmm. is, that, is that a deliberate thing? Is that, you know, just you've got good relationships with those teams, so why would you change? Is it, you know, do you really enjoy diving deeply into the ethos of a team or a manufacturer? You know, what is it that's enabled you to stick uh, in that way yeah look uh, um, I guess yeah loyalty uh, I, I like the ability to I guess get into something and, and you can't uh, I'll best describe it I think when you change you, it, it's it's really hard to change for one thing but I, I, I do think that when you um, I, I've always raced the products that I want to race hmm. and if that company happens to want to sponsor me Fantastic. That's that's the approach I've taken. So we wanted to race Shoemaker. We liked the products, so I raced Shoemaker, and I stayed liking the products. And then um, I had I had a very good amount of support from them. But when it got to the point where you know in the late '90s where the tool drive just wasn't competitive, I thought, well, I'm not going to race this car anymore. So then I stopped and so for Lozy. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't. I mean, that was that was a hard decision for me at the time because I kind of that was what I did and I, and I did have a very good relationship with the Shoemaker guys. Um, Associated started, you know, I really liked the car and I wanted to keep driving the car. And then, yeah. um, but you know, over time I got um, you know, talking with guys like Brent Telke and the guys on the team, you know, and, and I guess my engineering background gave me the ability to talk very technically with those guys mm. and get a good relationship. And then um, uh, I actually got, I, I turned down the first time that um, I started to get uh, wind of a factory deal. I, I kind of didn't really want it because I, it wasn't what I was really after in, in, in racing. And I thought I'm, gonna, I'm not going to enjoy myself as much. It, I, I love being part of the team, but I didn't necessarily want to be a factory racer. But um, the, the team was very supportive of saying, no, we, we, we want your, your technical input and your 
I guess your support to the team is what we really want. You don't have to be at every race. You don't. We're not going to care if, if you can't make a national title because you're away from work. Well, that's what goes on. Yeah. And so that I, I started getting factory support through um, Darren Campbell. You know, teed that up in around 2012 for me. And um, so I've, I've only actually had that kind of associated factory support since then. Um, yeah, only only eight years, mate. This is 2020. Well, it's actually yeah. Now it does seem like <laughs> yeah. But um, you know, for for the majority of my career, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it, I, I I I really I really like the AE products. I love the way that the the, the cars drive, mm. and yeah, I, I I do value loyalty because I think that um, it, it's it's a two way street. You know, I've mm. been able to get opportunities working with the factory team that I wouldn't if I jumped ship. You know, it takes a long time to build these trust and relationships up. Mm. I've now got a you know a, um, an amazing uh, opportunity in that I've got a direct line to the designers. You know. At last year's world titles, um, Spencer Rifkin and Dustin Evans had massive issues at the warm-up when they went there with their tool drive, and and the first person they, well, one of the first people they called was myself, which was to me still probably the career highlight, you know, um, <laughs> and uh, that was that was pretty. I was, I was I was actually working in Alice Springs at the time, and got a phone call like Spencer Rifkin, what the, you know, five o'clock in the and um, but that's that's part of what when you when you, you know, when you get into the team and you get the, the personal relationships, you get that level of trust. You, you can be part of that, and that's yeah. that's worth more than anything to me. Yeah. So, yeah. so it does seem also to me that you know in in your kind of life within that team, and you know, and maybe it's just as much personal approach as anything. But you know, you are obviously contributing um, back into the sport in the way that you're encouraging, sharing that knowledge you've built up over the years. But but in particular pouring some time and effort into young drivers, you know, the, the kids coming through. And we touched on that a little bit earlier and you talked, you mentioned briefly, uh, Lachlan, your son, who's very rapidly becoming or become one of the very best in the country now. What, so talk to me a little bit, you know, as we, as we do probably need to wrap up soon, but I'm really interested in, <laughs> I guess, your attitude and approach toward fostering junior races today and what you see as important about that, um, you know, in the sport uh, around the country right now. Um, what's what's that all about for you well i, I probably same when you started scott you know when people talk about the good old days of the 90s and you know there's some good and bad but there were a lot more younger people involved in the sport then um when i came back kind of 2006 2007 i noticed that suddenly there weren't very many young people at all um a lot of them were the same races from the early 90s but they weren't young anymore no. um and you know, that's not good for the sport. Um, any other sport, and, and I did see it a lot in, I think karting gave me a little bit of an exposure to that. Karting is super junior focused. They've yeah. got you know, the, 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 the cadets and the rookies and the juniors. You know, there's three different age categories for juniors. Um, and they really focus on that because they know that, I mean, firstly, yeah, yeah it's, it's the right thing to do. You know, you've got to, you've got to actually look after the young people. But secondly, it is actually the future of the sport. You get those guys hooked. They're the parents that are there in 25, 30 years' time. Mm. Um, the parents of the juniors are the ones that help out at the clubs, all this mm. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's kind of a, I think, you know, I feel that, I mean, I, I, this, this, this hobby has given me a huge amount and part of the legacy that I want to be able to uh, leave is, is to make sure that, yeah, we, we're doing these things that can, that can foster the, the, new, the next generation of people. Um, and you'll find that it's extremely rewarding. Helping people out is actually uh, uh, an extremely rewarding part and, and probably more enjoyable than the racing side for me to be honest now. So, yeah, we, you know, 
over the, or geez, since about 2012 or so, you know, we really pushed hard to get uh, like a novice class happening at our local clubs and then the junior class, you know, my, my wife, Christine, has been very strongly supportive of that as well. Um, you know, getting that up and going at club level and, and making sure that we've got a family atmosphere at the clubs. Mm. And now the local Victorian clubs, um, through the combined effort of everybody in that there, we, we, mm. we have 12, 13 kids under 15 at pretty much any club day. Mm. Um, you know, there's now some really fast ones emerging, which is fantastic. But not just those guys, it's, it's, it's all through the fields, you know. Um, you actually go to a track and there's kids playing on the sandpit and, um, you know, there, there's, there, there is a, it's a totally different vibe at the track. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's been a really, really, I guess, yeah, big, big thing that we've pushed here. Um, and, I, and, it, and it makes me very happy when I go to the track to see it and think yeah. that I've had some yeah. part of that. Um, and, and the most rewarding thing is actually now seeing um, some of the kids then mentoring some of the really young kids that are coming in. You know, when you see a 12 or 13 year old helping a, a, a 10 or 11 year old how to rebuild their drive shafts or how to take a different yeah. line, that's, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's very great. That is cool. And obviously through that, you've had your own experience from a family point of view. You're, you know, a couple of your kids or your, your kids both racing. Um, we talked about Lachlan. I, I do just want to ask, what was it like for you the first day Lachlan beat you fair and square in a race? Uh, was that a bit of a moment for you? Well, it was because we always said it was never going to come easily. I was never going to give a race. Yeah. Um, there was a club day at Kilo where he was about two laps away from winning his first two world mod aim final. Yeah. And I jammed it down the inside and passed him. And Ooh, uh, everyone's like, oh, hey, you're, you're, <laughs> you're a terrible dad. And I'm like, no, no, that's a life lesson. You know, he, left, he ran it wide. I'm not going to give yeah. him anything else. Yeah, leave the so, door open. Yeah. Yeah. Would you believe the first time he ever actually even out-qualified me was the 2018 Nats in wow. Adelaide where he TQ four mod. Like, he, he you know, look like he's been racing for you know, since yeah. 2012 or so. Yeah. Um, he did very well in the junior class, but he went, we, as, soon as, as soon as he did a year in junior, he went to mod. So he, yeah. he's been racing mod since 2016. 15 or 16, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, everything just seemed to click at that 2018 Nats in South Australia. Um, firstly, in two-wheel drive, he and Jordan Isogen and uh, Lachlan Donnelly all made the A final. Yeah. So there were three There were three kids under, at the time, I think they were all under 15 in the A in two-wheel mod. Wow. And at the time, we were like, wow, this is just amazing. Lockie was yeah. 12. Yeah. I think he was at the time... The, maybe the youngest to make a two or mod I main. I'm not sure about Craig Lawton. Um, but then, yeah, the next day he went out and he, and he TQ'd forward. I was like, oh, man, how did that happen? You know? So that was actually the first time that he, that he, that he um, had out-qualified me. And that was, it was really, it's very hard. Um, it's hard to, to focus and it's really taught me another level of focus is yeah. to, I can, I can watch my race and know what he's doing at any time around the track. And it's, it, it, sometimes it's a bit distracting, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately in the finals i mean he led almost he led most laps of the final but he, mm. he he just couldn't quite hold it together to the end and and somewhat with a bit of a bradbury on it managing to win that one but a little bit of a mixed emotion because unfortunately for him he, he had a pretty tough uh learning experience there with a bit, you know just just not quite being able to close it out yeah. um so yeah but no i sent him in last year he managed to actually take quite a few events off me yeah. And uh, so yeah, but it it's 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 a great feeling, and even you know, um, um, 
yeah, oh, I'm a competitive person and I still want to try and try yeah. and win. But um, yeah, when you put this much effort into the to the young guys and they're they're now showing that that's yeah, yeah they they should be able to beat a 43 year old. Yeah. So um, now now my challenge, and I've, I've spoken with a guy called Alan Horn, who's one of the his his two sons are some of the, the new up and coming guys in America, and, and Alan is my age, and I raced against him when I was in Detroit, and he's his philosophy is kind of similar is that he just likes to keep the young guys honest now. Yeah. So yeah. And, um, he, he gets out there and if he thinks they're slacking off, he'll go out there and hot lap them and tell them yeah. they need to work Come harder. On, please and that's, that's, yeah. yeah. I do recall yeah. a couple of, yeah. a couple of times. And I think, so uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this in the chat with Lou Solar, but you know, a couple of times over my time in racing, reaching a point with some up and coming young driver, you know, where I realized that, you know, I've just won this race, but this is the last time I'll beat that kid because they're just mm. on the up and up and up. And it, yep. it, it is a fantastic, it's actually a fantastic thing to see when, you know, you've encouraged uh, to some degree to the best that you can someone and they really take hold of it and, you know, develop in that sense. And all you do there yeah, is stand back and go, well, good on you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if, you, if you're in RC for the sole purpose of winning, um, one person goes home happy at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, when you're in RC to enjoy the experience and enjoy the competition and understand that competition is about getting the most out of yourself and doing the best you can with what you've got, mm. but also supporting those around and, and seeing other people grow, it's a much more enjoyable experience. And even at the top level, I see that. Some of the guys that are, um, you know, I've got the best respect for, for Spencer. Um, you know, he, he is truly someone that goes around, he, he, he wants to know how everyone's doing. He, he does help people out, um, you know, and, and he enjoys his racing and you can see he enjoys his racing. And, and I think that's an important thing we all need to keep in mind. We're, we're here to do it for fun. And if we're out enjoying everyone's success, it actually is a far more enjoyable hobby. Yeah. Mate, let me wrap with one final question, uh, which I'm posing to everyone, which is going to be very hard for you given how long you've raced. Um, <laughs> you can take any car from any time in your career and put it on any racetrack from any time in your career. You know, maybe your favourite car of all time, your favourite racetrack of all time. What is the happy place for Ray Monday? Car, race car, racetrack. I think the most awesome track we raced was the 2000 Knox Nationals. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the oil track. Yep. Um, you know, uh, first time I'd ever driven on a track with that kind of surface, but the layout was so much fun. It had high speed sweepers. It had a wicked triple jump and a killer S section, a big yep. flow onto the straight. So that track with probably my B5M, yep. um, the B6, our modern generation is, is a fast car. And, you know, I'd never want the B5M over it from a pure lap time point of view. No. Something about the B5M just felt to me like it was the, the that was that was my glove. That yeah. car, yeah. Uh, I was connected. I could feel all four tires with all of my fingers. You know, it was yeah. it was an amazing. It was a very connected car. Um, so yeah, I think my my B5M, how I had it in 2014, yeah. and the um, and the the 2000 Knox Nationals. That those two, uh, yeah, I, I put those two together for my happy place. That'd be pretty special. Pretty special match made in heaven. Mate, thank you so much for the chat. I've learned a lot. Um, not least, never pull full throttle until your front wheels are in a straight line. 
that's the one I'll take away with me and apply when I'm driving to work tomorrow morning. Uh, <laughs> Ray Monday, thank you so much for the chat, uh, for your generosity of time, uh, just in this podcast, but also all that you're bringing to the RC community in Australia. Uh, good on you, mate. Thanks heaps. Scott, thanks very much for having me. My apologies for talking too much. <laughs> uh, I, um, and if anyone ever wants to get in touch, yeah, I've got a uh, Facebook page, Ask Ray Monday. Um, yep. you, know, you can get on there and ask me anything. Um, you know, we, we put a lot of content up there, uh, as well as Andrew Selvaggi from Aussie Builds. You know, we're out there trying to, trying to share as much as we can. So, yeah, yeah um, thanks to everybody. See you at the track. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks.